0: The journey a man travels into desperate places is often smooth and downhill, but the journey out can be much more difficult, often rough and uphill. Addiction to success and wealth leads men into dark places, along those enslaved by drugs, alcohol, and sometimes pornography. Men are easily imprisoned in executive offices, failing marriages, or those past as those confined behind bars. The will of God is for desperate men from all walks of life to turn to him and find help, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Walter Spires is the author of All Men Are Desperate, Whether They Admit It or Not, and he's also heard on Bot Radio Network. Walter joins us from the Nashville studio. Hey, Walter, how you doing? I'm doing great, Byron. It's delightful to be with you today. Before starting this Desperate Men ministry, you spent most of your career in the healthcare industry, serving in various leadership roles, too. I did. In fact, I spent a lot of my
1: time in Memphis. We lived there a couple of times and in the orthopedics business and enjoyed a great life. I met my wife there at Central Church. and We got married. My first two children were born there. So we have a lot of
0: great memories and friends and relationships there in the Memphis area. Well, let's hear some more of your backstory, Walter. Even before meeting your wife, Gigi, where did your home life begin? And what was your family life like growing up? My father was a career Navy
1: man, so we lived around the
0: country, a number of different
1: places. He retired out of Charleston, South Carolina, so we call South Carolina home. We lived in the upper part of the state, did my undergraduate work at Clemson. So we lived there a lot of years. My mother's still there. Our sister lives there still. Went to Clemson as an undergraduate and was one of the first biomedical engineering majors to come out, and so that took me uh, away from home. A lot of my friends, you know, wanted to stay in the area, stay in South Carolina, stay close to home, go into family businesses, but... I ended up going on to graduate school, and I got a master's in bioengineering from Tulane, and then went to work in orthopedics up in Indiana for a number of years in Warsaw, Indiana. There's a number of great orthopedic companies up there. And then uh, the Lord led me to Memphis uh, through a recruiting opportunity down in Memphis, and it was a great move for me personally and professionally. And I met my wife there at Central Church, as I said. We started a family there.
0: Has it been over 34 years now that you and Gigi have been married?
1: thirty five in a couple of weeks, and I'm trying to remember that day.
0: <laughs> Don't forget that day, Walter. Don't forget that one, <laughs> that's important. Well, take us back prior to meeting Gigi. What was it that led you guys to meet? You said at Central Church. Was it a function there at the church? You know, Central back
1: then had this great singles ministry, and it just drew a lot of people that were interested in meeting other Christian singles. And you know, this was get us back in the early '80s, so that's how we met. We met at church and started going out and dated a relatively short time and knew the Lord brought us together. We got married on August the 6th of 1983. That's good that I remembered it. So that's yeah. good. Coming up soon and be 35 years and pretty amazing to me that uh, any woman can stay married to someone like me for that long. So a lot of props and credit to her and her grace and patience. And God's smiled on us and kept us together, which is a, a challenging thing these days, because I see a lot of men that has reach even my stage of life getting divorced and guys walking away and things that really break your heart where You know, when uh, the kids are gone, they're empty nesters, and all of a sudden they realize they don't know their spouse, they didn't grow together. In that relationship, it was all about the kids, and they end up splitting up, and uh, there's way too much of that going on. It breaks my heart. And so that's part of what uh, got my attention about breathing not only into young men's lives, but also to guys that are my age who still need to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ and how that applies to being married and staying married.
0: Walter, what about that relationship with Jesus Christ for you? When did it begin?
1: Well, I'm a good old Southern Baptist boy and raised in the church. And so it began at a young age. Although I really feel like the true rebirth was um, years later when I was living up in Indiana, it really began to mean something to me. I really began to understand what it meant to grow in Christ, get discipled. I was involved with a program called the Timothy Program. It was part of the Navigator's ministry back then. And, And an old Greek guy who's still a good friend of mine, he's in his 90s, discipled me and really taught me what it meant to be a Christian uh, and that was just a great turning point in my uh, my walk with the Lord. And really the beginning of my spiritual journey, I think the Lord used him and that church in a great way and has been thriving ever since, and that's been over 40 years ago. But I'm real thankful for him, and I call Gus my spiritual father, and we still keep in contact today. And he's faithful supporter of this ministry, but again, I think he's about 95 years old. So God has really blessed me with men like that. And so it's just an encouragement to me to be a blessing to men of all ages. I also got involved... With men, well, really started with children from poor and disenfranchised communities, uh, poverty stricken areas. I don't know, that just was something that was near and dear to my heart and felt like God uh, really wanted me to start helping out in that area. So I did there. And then when I moved to Memphis, I got involved. There are two rescue missions there. I got involved there teaching and, and helping out where I could. And God's gifted me to teach and communicate. I've been doing that a lot of years, both in my professional life in healthcare as well as now in the ministry. But, also, in Memphis, we got involved as a family because I of wanted of my children to understand that just because we lived out in, in uh, Germantown Codrieville area in a big house and a really nice home. That's not necessarily what the real world is all about. And so we went into tutoring there in Memphis with inner city kids that were brought out to one of the churches in Midtown. And we tutored children. We taught them to read. We read to them. We helped them with their schoolwork. And it really made an impact on my children when they were very young. And so we continued to do that because I really want them to understand that that's part of our giving back. We're, we're, it's, it's not just this affluent white culture that they sort of grew up in, that there's another world out there and it's full of beautiful, great people that God's created from every race, color, tribe, and tongue, and I wanted them to know that growing up. And so that's something that's been near and dear to my heart, and um, it's followed me into this ministry now.
0: Walter, what about a particular moment in your life where you found yourself in a desperate place?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, if men, if we're honest, we all have a a lot of those. For me personally, and and I share this in the book, I think it's chapter three of the book, It begins because we talk about how guys get into desperate places, our journey with trying to have a baby. You know, we were a young couple, and getting pregnant wasn't the challenge. It was staying pregnant. And so about an 18-month period of time, Gigi went through three miscarriages, and then we finally had a baby that went the full term nine months, and she was stillborn on the day she was supposed to be born. So that was, uh, as you can imagine, a crushing time. The whole season was, but then to have a child stillborn full term was, um, was just devastating. And so it was a hard place for us because that kind of thing tends to drive people together or apart, and it tends to drive people closer to the Lord or puts a wedge in between them and people say God is not good and they run away from him and think as God was good, he never let this kind of thing happen. So that was a really uh, trying, desperate place for us, and, you know, God is good and faithful and and we hung in there and just clung to him because that's all you can do, right? Um, or you do walk away and think, well, God's not in this, God's not good, or there is no God. And But God led us through that, and it and has blessed us with three children after that. But that was a really difficult time, and especially for my wife. As a man, we don't know and feel how our wives go through those kinds of things. It's much more difficult and personal to them because they've carried this baby for all those months and felt the kicking and all the things. And so much more bonded. And so I'm sure it was much more difficult for Gigi. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm quite sure at that age, the stage of my life, I wasn't the best help me during that time, but tried to be. Yeah, that was a hard place for both of us. And what do so you it feel, a place.
0: Walter, do you feel that moment, that experience you went through with your wife and trying to get pregnant and that whole aspect of that, when you came to the other side, did you feel like you discovered maybe some new priorities that you were able to set for your life? maybe change some of that desperate place that you had been in?
1: You know, it really didn't, because I think for us, you know, we were walking with the Lord closely. We'd been involved in, you know, ministry at at Central. We'd been teaching high school kids. We'd been in small groups together. We've been involved in small groups um, for for many, many years. Um, And so we just had a really solid walk with the Lord. And that was a strength going through it. So it, it has helped us to encourage and comfort others that have gone through similar things like that. And we thought that, you know, could happen. But in terms of our own faith, I think we had to make a decision. Look, if we really believe that God's who He says He is, and He's faithful and He's full of love, then we've got to cling to that. We have to hold on to that because it's being tested. The Bible says we're going to be tested, and we are tested, and we're tried, and and, you know, we're purified by fire, and it's not easy. And so I think sometimes we think that, The Christian life can be an easy thing once you're in Christ. And I always tell guys it isn't. And when you read the New Testament, that's what it testifies to, that Jesus said, take up your cross for a reason. And as it said later in the book, uh, the cross meant one thing, right? It meant death. And that's why it says a lot of people stopped following him at that point in time. That was not a popular thing to say. So for us, it was we just knew it was part of it. And we we're going to have to get through it. And we knew that God was going to stay with us. And he did. And then he blessed us with three more children. So
0: well, you said, God. Uh, amen. thank God for that experience mm-hmm. and how it brought you through it. Well, you said that you have spent a lot of time in rescue missions, prisons, and also with uh, corporate executives and many physicians, too, in your career. What have you found to be the common denominator between the men that you've met in these various places in life? Well, that's where the title of the
1: book came from. Ultimately, all men are desperate, whether they admit it or not. And, you know, it starts with a journey of five men. We take an addict, a prisoner, a rich man, a pastor, and then a business guy. It's kind of like me. And tell their stories briefly and then quickly get into those what I call uncommon denominators. And what we see, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, we have a lot of things in common, whether we admit it or not. And so I've seen those whether, again, regardless of zip code, I like to say, you know, from the boardroom to the basement, from the c-suite to the cell block all men have things in common like that sometimes we don't think that we do you know i'm sitting in a jail cell with a bunch of guys and leading them through the book and discipling them i hear their stories i always have people tell me their stories and they're just things that are common it may not be the home they came from the background but there are always issues with their mother and their father whether they're there or not Um, Sometimes it has to do with wealth. Well, it's not, they're certainly not wealthy, but it's that lack of wealth or desire for wealth that ends up being their God, if you will, that quest. So they're just things, the prison is a great one. Prison is a great one because I like to say not all prisons have bars. And there are prisons that we see uh, men going through, especially affluent businessmen. Women probably struggle with this as much as anyone else, maybe more. And that's prisons of our past. That prisons of your past is a key one that I have found, especially with guys, whether they're guys at the mission I'm dealing with that are addicts, dealing with their addiction issues, guys in prison for everything from DUIs to murder, and guys sitting in the corner of an office of a, of a big business. I mean, past is an issue that a lot of guys struggle with to deal with. For a lot of us, it's what other people think of us. You know, it comes into the pride issue. So anyway, Uh, I think there's some really common denominators there that, and that's what the book tries to focus us on, is not the differences, but the things that are common, because it's all pointing us to the cross, which is the second part of the book, the journey through the cross.
0: Well, Walter, you feel like the brokenness over one's pride, as you just gave reference to, (laughs) financial gain and success, is really needed before the desperate man can truly begin his journey with Christ. I, I think it is to... Really go deep in it.
1: I think that, guys, money is a a real challenge, and we know that Jesus talked about money and hell more than any other subjects he spoke on, and money in particular, and I share in the book two of the strongest stories that I've ever read that are, quite frankly, scary when you read them, and it's a challenge to rich men. The issue becomes this. It's not the possessions that you own. Do your possessions own you? It's not the possessions that you and, own. And I
0: think that's what I'm referring to when I talk about the brokenness there. I'm not seeing anything wrong. God gives the wealth and allows many to experience that. I think that's part of that process of being broken is realizing where it all comes from. You know, When we get to a place where we feel like we're in control, we made all of this happen because of our hard work and effort, uh, there's a hidden unseen that we don't realize it's working in our life, even those who are outside of Christ are getting the benefactor of Christ's blessings on their life. You know, As the Bible says, the, the rain falls you know, on all of us, whether you're righteous or unrighteous. But it's still coming to that place of brokenness, realizing that there's one greater than ourselves who's in control. Well, you're right. use David as an example a lot in the book because he's the only man that
1: God called a man after his own heart, the only one in all of Scripture. And yet, David had all kinds of issues. I think the reason that he did refer to him as that is because of what you talked about there. He often exhibited a broken and contrite heart. In Psalm 51, which is that psalm of repentance... He talks about that God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants a broken and contrite heart. And that contrition and that brokenness is really hard to get to. And sometimes pride does get in the way, regardless of our zip code or regardless of our bank account size. And getting men there, often what it takes is these events that happen, right? Bad decisions, you know, I used to teach guys, I still do. We have a big event at the Rescue Mission here every year where I match up all the guys from the burb churches that are mostly pretty affluent guys and match them up with someone that's in a program at the mission who's coming out of a homeless background. They give them gifts and swap them. And invariably, the guys will come up to me afterwards, the, the men from church, hey, this was great, and I really appreciate that, and now I understand you know, this whole thing about the desperate situation. And my tagline is, we're only one or two bad decisions from bunking with these guys. They just made poorer
0: choices than we have, or they made bad choices and got caught, and we didn't. Two, Walter, you mentioned that God builds men from the inside out. That's right. I mean, we know that to be true. God's not interested in the outward appearance, the
1: wealth that we have or anything else. He's interested in our character. I think what's most important is God will do anything it takes to get our attention to work on that. And that's where guys resist it. That's where pride comes in. That's where we want to—we're afraid of what other people might think. Because God's going to put us in places where we have a chance to succeed or fail. And failure, quite frankly— is often the only way we're going to grow and get to that point of brokenness. I always tell guys the word humility comes out of the word humiliation. And often that's what it takes to produce true humility in our lives. There's a lot of false humility around, especially in the church, I think. And, and part of it is just because we are afraid of what people think and our position and status and things like that, that God could care less about. And he wants to see that brokenness and contrition because it says what? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, you know, the humble he will hear and accept and and reject the proud. And so I think that's something as men we have to really focus on, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us to produce that brokenness. And the more we resist it, the more painful it gets, because he's going to take us into places desperate, primarily, that will allow us to be broken to produce that humility, because otherwise we're not of use to him. He cannot use prideful people, men or women, in his work. It takes humble people to go about doing that work, to really serve people like the people that I serve. Not many people want to go there and serve these people. Sometimes you just have to
0: recognize, wow, bad decisions, and I'm there. For men, I think that's hard. You said in an article you wrote earlier this year that there's more concern for developing performance over character now you follow that statement with five facets of god's process for building biblical christian men would you care to briefly go over some of those yeah the title of that lesson and message was five-star
1: athletes god's performance for men and so five-star athlete you know we focus a lot on that The draft had just come up. We're looking at young men that are five-star athletes. We rank them when they're in high school. And so the point was sometimes it looks like we focus more on their performance and their physical attributes than we do on developing the character. And I'm not knocking coaches and things. There's great coaches out there that work more on the character side in addition to the other So I was just trying to take that analogy and bring it into the church to say, God wants five-star men as well. So I took out of those five stars the parallel to be providing, protecting, purifying, pruning, and perfecting so that then we can perform in a way that's pleasing to him. You know, God is our provider. He's going to provide all we want. He is our protector, our shield. He told us that. And in the process, then what he expects out of us, he's going to work on our lives to Purify us, because God demands holiness, right? That was a big issue with the nation of Israel. He wanted a holy people. He said, be holy because I'm holy. Jesus said the same thing. So it's a purification process to make us holy. To do that, then, we step into when Jesus talked about the pruning, going in and cutting back the branches. You know, he said, you know, I'm the vine, God is the tender of the vineyard, and you're the branches— And so we do some pruning in there, and we know that when he cuts things back or works on cutting those, we'll do what? We'll produce more fruit. So there's a pruning that goes on in our life that we need to yield to. And by the way, pruning is not a painless operation. Sometimes it's very painful because he wants to ultimately then, that fifth one was perfection. He wants to perfect us. Again, he demands perfection. He also said, in addition to be holy, Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. And people go, what's up with that? How in the world can we be perfect? But again, it's that striving for. striving for. Paul talked about striving for. And as Christian men, we have to be mindful. This is hard work. This is not something we just coast through because we've got a a great job, a great family, everything's going great. We need to be striving for perfection and holiness in all that we do and work on that. That's what that means when it says take up your cross. There's nothing easy about that. So God's process of perfecting these five-star men, if you will, Uh, was what that message was about because then it allows us to perform in a way that God wants us to perform because he wants us it's about performance too. God wants us to perform and that is what going out and doing the Great Commission teaching and discipling men which is what my ministry is all about so
0: appreciate you sharing that I really enjoyed reading that article and the things that you how you broke it up was really encouraging Uh, let's talk about the book its release has been out now for how long? About a year and a half or so, I think. Any particular stories that stand out on how your book, All Men Are Desperate, whether they admit it or not, that is impacting men's lives? Yeah, I hear that from
1: people that have read the book. And I, again, I don't want to sound boastful, prideful. It's hard not to when you ask a question like that. But let me give you one story that's particularly um, endearing to me. And in fact, the video of the woman that shared it with me is on the, the homepage of our website, DesperateMen.org. Um there was a woman who managed a local burger place and we were talking and she's a general manager of it and she asked me what I was doing. I was in there quite a bit and she said, hey, what are you doing? And we talked about that and um, she said, oh, I'd love to see your book sometime and I'd like to read it myself even though it's for men. So I gave her a copy of it. And a few weeks later, my wife and I were back in there and she came up to me and said, you know that book you gave me? And I said, sure. And she said, well, someone close to her was talking to her and told him that he was really fed up with his marriage and was going to leave his wife. And she said, you know what, this guy comes in here and I've gotten to know him and he wrote a book and it's a man's book and maybe you should read this. So she mailed him the book (laughs) and he read it and he called her back and he said, you know what, I've read this guy's book and I'm convicted and I'm staying with my wife and I'm going to try to make this work. And that brought the tears, you can imagine, as you just think, thank you, Lord. That's why you do stuff like that. That's why it's written.
0: Again, that's a movement of the Holy Spirit in that life. And, of course, all the credit and glory goes to God for that. Absolutely. And I know that's where your heart is. Kind of leading to my next question, what would you say to a woman that's listening to our show today and will love for her husband to read your book but doesn't believe they would have any interest at all reading it? what has been interesting to me in the
1: audiences that I've spoken to that are men and women modify the title to make all people are desperate whether they admit it or not because what i found is that the women respond probably because of the emotional side even greater than the men do I, it, as i go through these things and make them general you know the the, the addiction prison uh, wealth dealing with that issues especially talking about prisons of the past prisons of what people think of them so they really identify with it and, and are able to do that in terms of getting their husbands to do this. This has been an age-old issue. You know, it used to be that the only books guys got were Father's Day or their birthday when their wife would go to the Christian bookstore and buy the book and give it to them to read. In fact, quite frankly, one of the sad things I've seen in the publishing world is Christian publishers don't especially want men's books and men's things like that because there's no audience for them. So that's a very difficult thing to do, um, but it's a book that's not full of condemnation. It's full of encouragement, but there is conviction because the Holy Spirit is in it. Like you say, saying, Byron, the Holy Spirit convicts us, calls us out, and confronts us. And that's what is talked about, especially in that middle part. The first part just brings people into an understanding of, oh, this is what it means to be desperate. But then that, the second part, which to me is the most important part of the book, is called The Journey Through the Cross, really confronts men, especially church men, what I refer to sometimes as the over-churched and undersaved men, to really analyze it, look at your own heart, and say, do I really understand this? You know, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't, but you've accepted Christ or you say you have, but there's no evidence of fruit in your lives. And so I walk you through a process in those chapters and then get into this butterfly chapter we've been doing on the shows on the radio recently. Tell people understand, listen, there's a transformation and a metamorphosis. If you're really in Christ, this is what this looks like and challenge guys to do that. Um, you know, for women to try to give their husbands something to read, that's a difficult place to go. And sometimes in some marriages, that can create more friction. Yeah. So I don't have a good answer for that, quite frankly. I just know that women have enjoyed it. Maybe they can read it and encourage their husbands to do that. Maybe some prayer behind that. How can we obtain a copy of your book? On your website? It's on Amazon. All other ones, I guess, these days. It's on Amazon and, of course, the website, DesperateMen.org. That's M-E-N, not Desperate man, but DesperateMen.org. That's really it. Amazon website. When I'm speaking, teaching, obviously, we've got
0: them there. But for people who are listening and hear this and would like to get it, that's where you can get it. Are you available for speaking engagements? And if so, how can someone contact you to come and speak to their group or church? Oh, absolutely. I've been speaking. I was a motivational speaker
1: after my healthcare career and my first book came out years ago. And so I absolutely love speaking, love teaching women's groups, men's groups. It doesn't matter. I've been honored to have good reception to all those audiences. And again, it's on the website, org. There's a place where it says speaker or hire Walter or something like that. And when you click on that, it just goes to an info page. Fill that out come straight to us. And so that's the easy thing to do. But it's all based on the website. there on the website.
0: Walter, thank you so much for visiting with Bot Radio Network today. I really appreciate just you sharing your heart and the journey that you've been on personally for writing this book about desperation for men. Our greatest desperation should be to seek and follow God and allow him to transform our lives. And I think you've Help clarify a lot of that today by sharing your book. Well, one of the keys, the move
1: and the the journey through this book, the journey into desperate places, the journey through the cross, and then the journey home, which is part three, is to end up with this one thing. That as men, we become desperate for more of God than more from him. We want more of Christ than more from him. And that change of prepositions from of to from is a huge one in our lives,
0: and it's a game changer. All Men Are Desperate, Whether They Admit It or Not, by Walter Spires. The book is available on Amazon, Bot Radio Network, listing, friend. Please go and check it out. And you can also go to the website to learn more about uh, Walter's ministry, DesperateMen.org, DesperateMen.org. Well, Walter, thank you so much, my dear brother. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Thank you for challenging men. Thank you for being our guest today here on Bot Radio Network. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Byron. Thank you for having me. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Coming to our Bot Radio Network listeners in Memphis and in Nashville. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.